Welcome to the Unblocked Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of Bramble and Rex. Alrighty, Hal. Welcome back to episode 12 of Unblocking Crypto. This week, we get to dive into um, a little bit more detail about use cases for cryptocurrency. And this is kind of an exciting conversation because this is where the future is, in my opinion. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about some of the positive news going on around uh, the world from last week. So I'll let you start. Yeah, so there was one thing that occurred, whether it's news or it's a thing that happened, is Bitcoin uh, mined the 19 millionth Bitcoin, which is kind of a landmark piece, right? Every time you hit a, a, a 1 million mark, um, it's a nice round number. But the interesting piece is... It, it's starting to show just how scarce Bitcoin is, you know, up to this point in the first 12, 13 years of its existence, a lot of Bitcoin have been coming into the market through mining every 10 minutes um, so that you're at 19 million in 13 years. But the next million uh, is going to take a little over four years based on my spreadsheet calculation. Uh, to figure it out. So it looks like 2026. And so that's not too bad. Um, but then, so that gets you to 20 million. And then it takes 114 more years to mine the final 1 million and round it off to 21 million. So Bitcoin's inflationary monetary policy really starts to kick in um, over the next four years where the scarcity, like the amount of Bitcoin that's already been mined is pretty much what you got. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about the value of Bitcoin, you know, it's, it's useful. We're talking about use cases today. Um, people want it. More people want it, but there's not as much coming online. And then we've talked about it before. The stuff that is coming in, miners are just holding. So they are borrowing in U.S. dollars to run Bitcoin mining operations, and then they hoard the Bitcoin. So the scarcity piece really starts to take off. I think up until now, it's a lot of, like a lot of the things that we've talked about with Bitcoin. Like in 2017, they talked about, oh man, if if your government becomes uh, becomes tyrannical, you're going to want Bitcoin to preserve your wealth. And we haven't seen anybody really do that until the last year or two. And the scarcity thing in the 20, 21 million cap has been discussed forever, but it's never really been that big of a factor, but it will be. So these Bitcoin guys are they're They kind of live in the future a little bit. Um, and I don't think that like there's a, there's a joke about how things are not priced in, um, you know, like Bitcoin, whatever the news is, it's never priced in because when the news hits the price spikes and, I think that the scarcity piece is is not priced in. I don't think people realize just how uh, how much as more people want to get their hands on Bitcoin to transfer value or to store value that it's going to get remarkably expensive to and it's going to be um, it's going to be kind of a gold rush on Bitcoin over the next I mean you know my things like eight or ten years. So that's 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 my piece is we. We mine the 19 millionth Bitcoin. When we mine the 20th millionth Bitcoin, that'll be the last one anybody that's alive sees. Uh, the next one will be for people's grandkids to see. 
uh, well, honestly, it doesn't ever actually even get to 21 million. It gets to like 20 million, nine, 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 ninety two or something like that. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a landmark piece. And there's already a couple million that are gone forever too. So <laughs> that's right. Cool. Well, speaking of Bitcoin, uh, I, I know we forgot to mention that uh, Bitcoin 2022 is kicking off here very shortly. Uh, so I, I think that'll be something that you and I need to make sure we attend next year. <laughs> I agree. I, I, I had a text message from a buddy of mine who's like, yeah, this was yesterday. It was like, they have flights to Miami for $300. It's like, <laughs> I'm really, really thinking about jumping on a plane and going. Um, and so I'm sure there's, and I'm in a small town. Um, I don't even know why we have so many people that are into crypto and Bitcoin in, in my, my small town, but it's like, there's gotta be, it's gotta be that, that, um, that FOMO of missing out on, on a Bitcoin conference has gotta be pretty rampant across, uh, across a lot of major cities and, and small towns because it's happening here. Yeah. I was hoping on my fold app that I was going to get. Um, my daily spin was going to give me the the pass to go to the Bitcoin conference. And I was like, I got the pass for free. I have to go. <laughs> um, so so uh, yeah. before we jump off of that, one of the things, so we talked news. So like, yeah, you can't predict the news, but every year or last year at the Bitcoin conferences, when they announced that El Salvador was going to pass the, the legal tender legislation. And so it was kind of a, it was kind of a big news release. And so there's hints of some big news being released during this conference this week. Um, so that I'm, I'm willing to bet that next week we'll be able to talk about a few things uh, that, are, that are probably a big deal. Yeah, was that uh, the Apple stuff? Well, that was kind of the, the whispers of, uh, of what might be coming on is, is Apple maybe jumping in somehow, whether it's lightning payments through Apple Pay or put it on their balance sheet or something like that. I, 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 um, you know, it's just kind of fun to speculate, but I mean, we, you know, by the, by this time next week, we'll be able to talk about what it is. Yeah. No, so going back to your scarcity point, one of the things that I wanted to just chat about real quick was NFTs. Um, since they are one of the most scarce things out there, um, two really interesting things happening in the NFT space. One is, uh, Coinbase NFT now has 3.7 million people on their wait list. Um, and to give you a scale of what that looks like, that's about 3x the number of people that have interacted with NFTs so far, um, So, which is huge, right? I mean, it's just opening the door for a lot more. Um, if, you, if you look at that, that 3x number is probably like one and a half million addresses, which you could almost say that it's really only about half the number of people because most people that interact with NFTs have multiple addresses uh, or multiple wallets that they're using. So, I mean, you're only talking about 750,000 people that have touched NFTs so far. And it's, I mean, in 2021, it was one of the largest growth assets out there, right? So the the possibility of, of it getting larger is is, is definitely on the, on the in the cards. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in use cases here in a second. But the other thing, too, that happened is OpenSea, which is kind of the largest marketplace for NFTs, has now released a statement that they are going to start accepting credit cards to buy NFTs. Um, so I'm, and I'm sure it'll just turn that into Ethereum or whatever to close it out. I think Solana is coming, too. But 
Um, that's a, just a big deal to get people into NFTs much easier than having to go through an exchange and transfer it over to a wallet and go from there. So kind of exciting news there. All right, so let's jump into the use cases piece. And uh, I think one of the things that I do want to mention is that we're not gonna talk about stable coins, although that's probably one of the largest use cases. But I, I think that this makes sense to push stable coins into its own topic in the next week or two. Um, so other than stable coins, there's still a ton of use cases to talk about. So where do we start? Where do, would you like to start as far as what use cases you think are best for Bitcoin and crypto in general? Yeah, so I think in my notes when I was trying to kind of get my thoughts straight, I think the first one is just to look at cryptocurrency as a whole. Um and that use case, and for Americans especially, is this kind of risk on asset, speculative asset where you think there's a future for cryptocurrency. You want to put U.S. dollars into this asset class because in the future that the value of, of whatever cryptocurrency you purchase, you think is going to have more buying power than your, the dollars would have if you just held on to them. Um, so I don't, people talk about this like it's bad, but I mean, I don't view it very differently as, as tech stocks. Um, you know, some, I, I think that the more people research and understand cryptocurrencies, the more they'll understand that they're not going away, but that's not to say that some of them won't go away. Right. Um, I think the market has to pick which ones are valuable and which ones are not and which ones have teams working on them that are good, that, that produce a good product. And the, some of them are just not going to make it, right? There's some, something's going to beat it. Um, so one of the reasons why I like Bitcoin as much as I do is it's pretty clear to me that Bitcoin is a bit of an apple in a sea of oranges. Um, it's, it doesn't it wasn't pre-mined it doesn't it, it's not subject to the same sort of regulations as as ethereum and other cryptocurrencies um that are viewed more of securities so you know it's kind of a um an investment play i would say is for 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 people with fiat money that believe that this asset class is going to grow and it's going to grow at a pace that outperforms other asset classes like uh, stocks, bonds, uh, real estate. It's a place for people to, to store wealth. Um, so that's to me where you got to start because I think that's where m most people get into cryptocurrency is because their friends made money in cryptocurrency and they want to figure out how to make money in cryptocurrency or they just, they're reading the news about Bitcoin going up, you know, 5X in, in a year or, you know, if you go back to 2016 and 17, it's 20 X in a year. Um, and so I think that's, that's the, the, the first place to start. Um, it's in a, it's in a real growth mode still. I think everybody thinks they're late to, to getting into cryptocurrency, but it's still early if you look at the numbers. Um, so because of, because of its growth, traditional investors look at it as super high risk because the the volatility of the upside and downside is dramatic relative to 
what we normally see in stocks and traditional investment vehicles, but stocks have been pretty wild since COVID hit. Um, and so that, you know, putting that use case in out there first makes sense to me. Um, a lot of people get into crypto because they want to turn a little, turn their money into more money. And th- uh, most people get into crypto because they want to change their U S dollars into more U S dollars. And I think that's what gets people in. And then it, when they, some of those people do enough research to understand like, Oh, the reason I'm getting out of us dollars is they're falling apart. They're inflated. They're controlled by, um, politicians that politicians and central banks that likely don't have the people's best interest in mind. And so that to me is a, um, it's kind of, it's kind of an educational tool for people that get into cryptocurrency where they learn more about monetary policy. Uh, so that to me, you know, if you want to add a little bit onto, onto that piece, but that's where I want to start is you, when you have some money, you get into cryptocurrency because you'd like to preserve that, that wealth. Yeah, so I think that makes sense. I'm going to kind of steal from Kathy Wood. And for those of you that aren't aware of her, she has the ARC Fund and has done very successful in stocks in general. Uh, but she looks at it as there's three revolutions coming that crypto is, is enabling. One is money, uh, which is kind of exactly what we're talking about there. The the benefit for that is um, it's a allowing for a global infrastructure that is rules-based, right? So, I mean... From what you're talking about, this is kind of an open currency that's borderless, permissionless. Um, anybody can change with anybody. And, and I, I think that is a, a a huge reason to get into crypto, especially with the the latest news over the past few months, right? Um, just to kind of uh, talk about a few things in the future. The other two things that she did mention is a financial revolution, which is kind of the DeFi space which once you get into crypto, it allows you to kind of eliminate the middlemen um, in all these bank things. And this kind of seems like what uh, the possible uh, strike and Apple announcement could happen here in the next couple of days at Bitcoin 2022. Um, And then the the third thing she talks about from a revolution perspective is kind of the next gen internet. Um, And that's almost um, getting rid of a lot of the data miners like Google and Amazon and allowing you to own a lot more of your your data and, and who you give it to. Um, so yeah, going back to what you talked about, I mean, I mean, it's we're, we're almost calling it a reserve currency, um, but it's not a stable coin, right? It, it is definitely something that is different, and Bitcoin is by far the one that is leading the pack. Um, Ethereum probably is the only other one that's. I would say close to that. And there still is the question mark on whether or not someone will ever come out and say it's a security versus property like Bitcoin. Um, but so far it still is growing like wildfire. All right. Um, so what else? Um, yeah. So, you know, once you kind of get your head around using cryptocurrencies as the, this uh, a monetary tool or an investment vehicle, uh, typically that's where most people that we know start, right? Cause we're in America. Um, but on the flip side to that, you have countries that have a higher percentage of, of their population that are unbanked. Uh, they don't have access to banks. 
there's there's quite a few people in America that do not. Uh, I think you know I, I owned a company that had employees that were that were not able to get checking accounts based on their um, credit history and just a combination of things. And um, so that it is a problem in America because what we see is these these people don't have a lot of money. It, it, this uh, let me talk about an, the unbanked in America first. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have highly monetizable skills to to generate money and turn their time into money. And because of that, um, it's kind of they're kind of in they're kind of stuck at zero. It's very difficult for them to get off the ground financially. Um, without a checking account, you're paying. Uh, you go and you get paid. You get a hard check as your paycheck, and now you have to pay ten or fifteen or twenty percent to cash that check. So you're just constantly being eaten alive by fees, and you're you're struggling to keep your head above water anyway. Um, what cryptocurrency allows you to do is have funds transferred directly to your mobile phone, which it sounds kind of wild that people can't afford to have a checking account, but they can have a mobile phone. But that's the way it is. Um, so if you have a mobile phone. You can download an app. You can store your cryptocurrency on your app, and you're able to essentially bank, uh, although it's not through what we would consider a traditional bank. But your employer, in theory, if your employer is plugged in now, but in the future, they can transfer cryptocurrency and you can get paid um, more easily and quickly. What we found was, you know, if you Friday's payday, checks go out on Friday, so it's Monday or Tuesday before those checks arrive in people's in people's um, mailboxes, and that's a problem because there's they, you know, lower income people have cash flow problems, um, and so that we we run into a lot of issues there. And so that's in America. That's like America's working poor and unbanked Americans. Um, you know, a lot of Americans that are getting into crypto are kind of on the good side of the banking scheme where they, you know, having a checking account sounds weird. Like, why wouldn't you have a checking account? I don't They probably don't know anybody that can't get a checking account. But, um, you know, but those are the people that are kind of pumping in money into cryptocurrency and, and bolstering the the, the prices that we see. Um, but then if you turn to countries that are further down the socioeconomic ladder, um, I mean, El Salvador is the example because they legalized Bitcoin as legal tender. Um, what you see is they're able to get remittance payments from other countries instantly onto their, onto their mobile phones, which again, Seems crazy to have mobile phones, but these people are struggling. Um, but to me, this is kind of like a, this is kind of like a great use case for mobile phones. Like this is a good excuse for for the world's poor to have mobile phones because uh, now they can transfer wealth to each other, um, trade for goods and services. They can uh, have family members working in one part of the world and get that currency or get wealth transferred to them so that they can quickly and easily buy goods and services in their local local currency. So I, I think that use case is super underrepresented and under understood by most people in America that are 
looking at Bitcoin and the first use case we talked about, which is like, how can I make my my personal wealth increase faster than it would if I was just in stocks or just in real estate? And uh, the good thing about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically is it doesn't really matter if the world's poor are into Bitcoin in a little way and the more wealthy people are in in a big way. The value of it goes up like it's the only time where the rich people in America can really help poor people in El Salvador because you're making their currency more valuable. Like as as people are holding it in El Salvador and adoption increases in America, then it's good for El Salvadorians. Typically, it's bad. So I think that that use case is is the one that allows Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to kind of penetrate into smaller markets, into lower income markets, and benefit them while simultaneously benefiting wealthy people who are just converting, you know, Bitcoin into into more into more money. Or you you use the term reserve asset. Um, you know, in cryptocurrency terms, Bitcoin is the reserve asset. It's it's the biggest, has the largest market cap. It always has. Um, it's kind of the most well-known, you know, Bitcoin is everybody at this point who's paying attention to, to, I mean, my, my parents who are in their late sixties know about Bitcoin, not because of me. Uh, and so it gets a lot of name recognition, you know, the other Bitcoins, the other, I'm sorry, the other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, Solana, you know, that's it just, you start naming them and, you'll just talk to people that have never heard of some of the ones that you're talking about. And they'll say ones you've never heard about. And it becomes like a communication problem. Uh, but everybody can kind of speak to speak to Bitcoin. Um, one piece that we didn't talk about in the news that we probably could have was, uh, the purchase of Bitcoin to support the UST stable coin, um, which is in the like Luna protocol. Um, I listened to their CEO speak and he was talking about why they chose Bitcoin as the, the, the backing currency, why they're putting billions of dollars into Bitcoin to hold it. Um, and his answer was because no matter who is, who it is in cryptocurrency, they'll accept Bitcoin as valuable. Whereas some people will not accept Ethereum as valuable and some people won't accept Solana as valuable or Luna as valuable uh, because they're of their opinion of different coins or what's going to happen in the future. But pretty much everybody that's into cryptocurrency will accept Bitcoin uh, as, yeah, OK, you're backing your stablecoin with Bitcoin. That has value. Um, so to me, that's that was a good uh, advertisement for Bitcoin among cryptocurrencies. Uh, but it's also good because it's like, you know, multi-chain is the future where it's not as though one cryptocurrency is going to survive. There'll be multiple. And so they work together. They, you, know, you don't see them work together very often. But in this case, they are. And I think that's uh, I think that's a good sign for, for cryptocurrency in general. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, remittances earlier. So I feel like for most people in the U.S., we don't really see the amount of remittances that really happened. And I have some numbers. There's over 700 million, sorry, $700 billion a year that gets sent worldwide between people. 
Uh, the average fees on that is is about 7%, which they go well above that as well, right? So that 7% fees is close to $49 billion a year in fees that people are spending. So you have 7% there. You talked about most of those people are probably unbanked and they're paying 10%-ish in their paycheck for having to get a money order or, or, or something, right? Uh, so now all of a sudden they're losing close to 20% of their paycheck to, to move money around and pay off things. The opposite of that is something you and I have dealt with in the past was is, is cross-border payments, right? So this is more on the business side. If you're sending money from one business to another in a different country, and as the world gets flatter and flatter and people are using locations around the world to do things, uh, this will become even more prevalent. But today, there's over $2 trillion a year that is spent in cross-border payments. Um, most people have heard of SWIFT. Um, those fees are probably around 3% on average, but they can get up to up as high as like 6%. But at 3%, that $2 trillion uh, turns into about $60 billion in fees. So between remittances and cross-border payments, you're talking about close to $110 billion a year in fees that uh, companies are making that could be almost eliminated completely with the use of blockchain and crypto. Yeah. And, and so you mentioned like the average fee of, of seven, eight percent on um, remittance payments and then, you know, three, five percent on on larger payments between businesses for like the, the manufacture of goods off, offshore. Um, so the thing that Bitcoin does that can't nobody else can do. And so that makes it, I think, a valuable use case is you can you can send five dollars from America to El Salvador for free over lightning instantly. You can't it's not even an option to send five dollars from America to El Salvador in any other way, like outside of cryptocurrencies. And so while it seems kind of dumb. If you if you look at Western Union and I don't remember the numbers exactly, but there's breakpoints. Like if you send fifty dollars through Western Union, the 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 fee it's like a flat rate plus a commission or or plus a, a percent fee kind of deal. So you end up being like between ten and twelve dollars to send fifty. And so you're never gonna send fifty dollars. So you just have to keep working and saving up to send a larger payment to your family in another country. And with so what you're doing is you're creating again, low income people have cash flow problems. You're creating a cash flow problem for your family in in whatever country you're sending it to, because you're like, hey, just wait. I, you know, I'm trying to get to two hundred dollars so that, you know, the fee is only ten dollars out of two hundred instead of twelve dollars out of fifty. But you don't have to deal with that. You know, I mean, you, if your if your family is at a grocery store, and is like, hey, I need twenty dollars to to cover the gap on this grocery bill, they can send you a text message. You can send them the payment and then they can pay for their groceries on the spot. You know, they don't have to stop what they're doing, go to Western union, get cash, carry the cash and then, and then spend it. So it's just, it's not anything close to the, the, the current system of transferring money. It's not, it's not like it's, it's a, it's a small improvement on what we're currently doing. It's, it's doing things that can't be done with the current system. It wipes out a ton of 
costs. Um, you know, Western Union has brick and mortar stores with employees that have to be paid. And Bitcoin doesn't like you've got a smartphone and they have a smartphone and that's all you need. Uh, so for me, there's a um, it's not even a, it's not even a competition. It's just most people are just nervous. They haven't picked they haven't used it yet and all that. But once you start using it, you're like, man, this is so much better than than using traditional financial rails. Well, I think that's a great point where pretty much the main goal of crypto is to get rid of the middleman, right? I mean, you're trying to find a way that you can create trust and environment between two parties without needing that middleman to take care of it. So Western Union, while they have stores and employees that they have to pay for, Bitcoin doesn't have that. You just need two, smart point, two uh, smartphones and you can send money from one to the other and the network takes care of, takes care of it on its own, right? Right. Yep. And I think the more that people understand that you can operate off the main, off the base chain and transaction fees are lower and everything operates quicker, I think the, the faster people will start to use it. And I've, I saw it with my employees. Um, and so I'd imagine that's it's similar in other in other countries where once one person in a, in a community or a group is starts using something better, that's cheaper, that's got less fees that. And it picks up quickly because everybody else is like, oh, I just had to walk 45 minutes to go to Western Union to pick up my weekly couple hundred dollars that my, you know, that is sent to me from my family member in America. And you didn't have to spend two hours of that transaction. You didn't have to pay the fees. It's like, why would I do that ever again? Uh, so once one, once that starts to happen, snowballs pretty quickly. Um and I think that's really good for people that are, that are, um, uh, I think the things that Bitcoin can do that, that the current legacy system can't do makes it very valuable. So I, th I think we're good on what Bitcoin can do from a, a money perspective. Let's turn a little bit more to the tokenization of assets. Uh, and so, I mean, I mentioned NFTs a little bit earlier. I, I think NFTs have a ton of power and there's still a lot of people that are trying to understand the, the, the value of NFTs. Um, but the, the ability to tokenize any sort of asset and put it on the blockchain is a big deal because big deal it gets rid of the middleman, right? So one of the, the big ways that, or one of the things that makes the most sense to me is real estate. And there's already been a company that I think has tokenized a couple billion dollars of real estate. But if you look at the total value of real estate, it's like $280 trillion around the world. So it's a huge number. Um, and putting real estate onto a blockchain, one of the biggest benefits for, for most people is if you're selling your house or buying a house, it could eliminate thousands of dollars of cost by having to hire an attorney to go do the research necessary to prove that you own the actual piece of real estate. Um, so that's a huge deal in my opinion. And just one of the, the many um, digital identity is another one, right? I mean, if you can tokenize your identity, now all of a sudden um, you could prove that you are the citizen of a country based on your digital identity and the country could airdrop uh, stable coins, which we'll talk about in the future, <laughs> right? To your NFT, right? So I think that's a huge opportunity for things to happen in the future 
um, we're, we're still just on the very cusp of understanding what NFTs can really accomplish for us. Um, but from a use case perspective, the sky's almost a limit when it comes to tokenization. Yeah, I had a conversation with a guy on Saturday, um, and I knew he'd gotten into some cryptocurrency stuff. And I was just kind of struck up a conversation with him and what he was interested in. And he was a medical guy. Um, he actually did some pretty cool stuff right at the beginning of COVID here in town. Um, and uh, so he was like, you know, honestly, I'm really kind of trying to figure out how this is going to work for medical records uh, and kind of tokenizing and, and putting medical records on the blockchain so that they're so that they can go back and look and see what procedures have been done, what, you know, what people's medical history is instantly and without, um, you know, if when you go to a new doctor, you fill out a form. So you got to remember all the stuff and like, you know, at, when was your surgery, what year, all the details, what, uh, you know, and 90 plus percent of the things that have ever been wrong with you, you don't even write down because they they don't ask or it wasn't that big of a deal or you don't remember and you don't remember what doctors you had and you don't, you know, it's, it, but if it's all on a blockchain, um, you know, there's a huge privacy piece to this that needs to be addressed. But, um, you know, that's what he was curious about. So that, that, that falls in line with your tokenization. Like he, he kind of shrugged his shoulders at, you know, yeah, Bitcoin, you know, whatever. I got into it. I mind a little bit and he just wasn't interested in it. I mean, he's, it was kind of a, it was kind of the first person who shrugged it off and was only talking about how it applied to like something they care about, which was for him, you know, the medical side. So that was, that was pretty interesting. I mean, he, he, he did uh covalescent plasma in, in our small town when nobody else was doing it for, uh, for COVID patients. And he was, he said he was seeing great results, never made a penny. So like, he's not motivated by, the first use case, which is buy some cryptocurrency and wait for it to be worth more. Uh, so I was like, man, I haven't talked to too many people that just don't care about money and care about like how it helps people. So that was, uh, that was pretty interesting. Very interesting. I, I think another one that um, ties a little bit into tokenization, but it's also almost a little on its own island is the derivative market. And when you talk about derivatives, you're talking about options and futures um, and, and swaps and things like that. And that gets extremely confusing and extremely detailed. And we could probably spend a ton of time talking about it. Um, but most of that takes days to close and a lot of middlemen to try to understand what's going on. And a lot of them don't even really understand what's going on. So they're always trying to change their risk profile based on the latest information they can get. And it's hard to get information on that. Um, but to me, one of the interesting pieces of all of that if you look at the total market of that it's one quadrillion dollars right so and for those of you that didn't pay attention in math class one quadrillion is one thousand trillions <laughs> so in terms of the just the market potential if you ever decided that you wanted to understand what was going on and get rid of a lot of the human error in this you could put derivatives into the blockchain and now the value of blockchain has gone up uh almost a thousand x of where we are today <laughs> which is crazy to think about yeah yeah the the derivatives markets um you know, that's kind of a piece i dabbled in but I, i'm no 
I'm no expert in derivatives markets, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's when you talk about use cases. I mean, you can really cover a lot of ground in in cryptocurrency as far as what it can do. Um, the the interesting piece is it's, it's not doing a lot of it now on a scale. So that's why, like, when we talk about it, we're early, you know. Yeah, we're it's early in all this. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, we're just scratching the surface of who's involved, and you can probably have conversations with everybody you know and find one in 50, one in 100 people that are actually dealing with crypto or know anything about in crypto, it seems like. Um, and most people that are doing it maybe just bought a little bit on one of their trading platforms and they have no idea what they're doing. Right. I mean, somebody just told them to buy it and hold it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but every once in a while you find some guys like I've found run into a few that like, yeah, you know, this is, they, they, they work their Bitcoin. Like they use DeFi processes to, to work their cryptocurrency holdings. Like, um, got a guy in town that buys Luna loans it, or, uh, or uses DeFi to to get UST and then invest UST at 20% on the Anchor Protocol. And that's how he gets passive income, like a lot of passive income. And so, you know, that, that DeFi component is, is one we haven't talked about. But um, you talk about cutting out some middlemen, just the, the act of getting a loan especially if you have assets that you can collateralize the act of getting a loan in crypto takes a few minutes and it'll cost a quarter the act of getting a loan in the real world is it used to be 30 days but now it's like a miracle if you can close in 30 days so you know you're you're talking about 45 days thousands of dollars in closing costs uh and that's collateralized with a house Right. Like that's a pretty stable piece of collateral. So when you you look at the areas that can be disrupted, you know, the the monetary system of getting getting loans, especially when you hold assets, I mean, is is ripe for uh, for disruption. Um, I haven't done a lot with DeFi, uh, but this de- decentralized finance where it's effectively automated loans and loan payments and it's all on smart contracts um, that they're, they're targeting a very big market and a very, what I would consider to be a very vulnerable market because most people hate dealing with it. But if you can click a few clicks on your laptop or your smartphone and you can, instead of, instead of putting up one thing for a loan, you can put up, uh, your cryptocurrency and get a get a loan at a reasonable rate. Uh, yeah, it's it, the 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 DeFi system uh, that use case is 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 huge for um, for what's possible. Well, I, I think when you talk about loans and and the DeFi space as, as well, you have kind of that uh, push towards ESG that is forcing some people that are working in. Uh, different jobs that aren't approved by ESG to they aren't really allowed to use uh, the traditional banking system, right? So when you start el- eliminating some of those industries from the traditional banking system, they have to go somewhere else. And and DeFi and crypto is probably going to be one of the more likely places that they turn in the future as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I read an article that talked about how how cryptocurrencies is is just a black hole for for human talent. Uh, people are leaving the banking system. People are leaving Silicon Valley. And so people are seeing the value in cryptocurrencies and they're changing their careers for it. Um, so if you don't believe that two guys talking on a podcast are right, like th- there's a lot of super intelligent people that are quitting their jobs and getting jobs affiliated with the things we're talking about. So there's, you know, it's, that's, that's a lot more than just saying, oh, okay, well, I'm going to take 5% of my net worth. And instead of buying more stocks with it, I'm going to buy a crypto that's saying, Hey, I'm going to drop my career with Google or Facebook and I'm going to jump into uh, a cryptocurrency startup or, or, or become an Ethereum engineer. Uh, and, or uh, this company is building around the blockchain um, for one of the things that we talked about. You know, there's, I, I tell my friends that are like skeptical about cryptocurrency. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And all of these high performing, highly intelligent people are wrong. It's a Ponzi scheme that only tricks the smartest people or, or tricks the smartest people first. Like that's, 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 that's would be the rarest of Ponzi schemes. Yeah. I heard, uh, I'm a huge Kathy Wood fan, the more I learn about her. And one of the things she said is that one of the biggest mistakes that people are making right now is investing in these index funds, which are really tracking companies that have done well in the past. And there's so much innovation that is happening right now that if you're not investing in the companies that are going to innovate and be the ones in the future, you're missing out on a ton of potential for, for gains. Um, so a really interesting perspective to take, especially with the more you look into crypto, the more you see the innovation that's, is, that's happening. And, and I would say blockchain is not the only place doing that, right? There's a lot of other things, uh, space travel and things like that as well. Um, but there's, it's a lot of excitement. And if you look at the level of innovation right now, it is definitely starting to hit that exponential curve. Um, and it's going to be fun to see what the next, what happens in the next decade. Yeah. And, and the Kathy Wood thing is interesting because I'm sure a lot of people are aware of her and like she did great when COVID hit and like all of your most innovative stocks took off because it was like a fast forward button for, working from home and zoom and um, you know, and Tesla um, these companies that are very forward looking. And it's funny because it's like, so the antithesis of, of that would be, you know, your, your older Warren Buffett types that are, they buy companies based on cash flows and they're, you know, it's like, show me, don't tell me. Whereas Kathy Wood's like, yeah, tell me what you're going to do. Tell me how you're going to get there. And I'll make a bet that says you'd get there. And if you get there, the payoff is 100x instead of 2x that Warren Buffett's looking to, looking to chase. And so, um, with the with the like like you said, exponential growth. If you can catch it six months early, you're that's that's hugely beneficial. Five years later, when things have doubled every six months, you you catch an extra double or two. Um, that's that's the difference between a, a 16x and a 32x or a 16x and a 64x. So, um, but that's not how Coca-Cola works. And that's not how 
you know, U.S. steel works. And it's, it's not how you're, you're kind of, when you're dealing with things in the real world, you're, that require logistics. You can't quadruple things in a year. Whereas when it's digital, it can scale so quick because you're, you're not, the laws of physics don't apply quite as much. Um, you, you know, you can buy more servers quickly and they can process more things. But like, yeah, you, you can't, you don't need to build a new factory and hire and train new employees, which is agonizingly slow. Um, you just run the code more often and you transfer more data over the internet. So that's, you know, the, the Kathy Wood thing. I think that she's, she has been right. Um, I think that she is often early, which sometimes looks like you're wrong. But I think over over enough time, her her wins will be big enough to offset her losses. Um, and that's another piece that I talk to people about. I'm like, yeah, okay. So if you're if I'm wrong about Bitcoin, I'm going to lose half of what I put in. And if I'm right about Bitcoin, I'm going to make 30 times what I put in. So like that's a risk I'd be willing to take. Yeah, I mean, if you can find, I mean, the ideal reward ratio is like three to one <laughs> a lot of times, right? And you are kind of 10xing that a lot of times. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, on one that's side. my take on it. Cool. Well, I think this has been super interesting. And, and I know we're just scratching the surface on use cases, but we hit a lot of the big ones other than stable coins. So maybe let's wrap up here and we will plan on diving deeper into stable coins in the near future. So good. before we do that, anything else you want to leave everybody with? No, I mean, I, I, I'm sure we left a lot of stuff out. Um, it's it's a pretty complex and it's pretty fast paced. So, yeah, there's there's really no way for us to capture everything. But as far as kind of top level, giving people things to look into, um, you know, that's that's the name of the game for cryptocurrency. Um, you know, find something you're interested in, start doing some research. And that'll lead you down a long winding path that'll touch a lot of other a lot of other use cases and a lot of other things you can do with cryptocurrency. Yeah, I think going back to what you said earlier, we're we're still just at the very beginning and scratching the surface on a lot of this. So um, you're still early, <laughs> and you're going to be very early probably for the next couple of years at this point. Uh, but it doesn't mean you won't see some big gains between now and then. But it's just. There's a long ways to go before this becomes really mainstream. So, well, awesome. Hal, as always, thanks for joining, and uh, we'll chat again next week. Great. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group, Unblocking Crypto. It's a small community discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more. Hope to interact with you there.